1: Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondellettersandsounds.org.uk.
0: Introducing Bulb. With evidence based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy to use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at BulbApp.com.
1: Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you, providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at withaslackgroup.co.uk today. With Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. for a good evening to you. How are you?
2: Oh, sorry. I was I was doing the accepting my co-host invite. You caught me off guard. How are you? Oh, how am I? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I mean, it's Sunday night, so like, I mean, are you on half turn now? No, I'm I don't know. Easter. I'm on Easter holidays. Very, very happy. I shouldn't have asked that. No, like. What about you, Nathan? Well, clearly not by my my, my reaction there, Tom. <laughs> Clearly not. No, I'm 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 going into work tomorrow. I'm getting. Well, I'm
3: going into work anyway tomorrow.
2: That that is something that could, you know, we could probably put that straight. Going into school on your holidays needs to be in staff from 101. I think you know, I've
3: got I've got got some stuff I need to get done before we go back after Easter, and I know for a fact that if I stay at home and not do it because I won't do it. In about 13 days' time, I'm going to be sitting here on a Saturday night thinking, I wish I'd done it at the start of the holidays. It's... So I'm going in probably tomorrow and Tuesday, and I'm going to get the stuff done that I need to get done so I can then enjoy a slightly shorter but still very exciting Easter break.
2: No, I well, I, I think it's wrong. I'm going to say that just out sir I think I think you are wrong on that. I think it is wrong. I, I understand. I mean I understand. You got work, you got stuff, you pressure, all of those things. But you know what, you know working, it's it's do you know what one of my head teachers I used to work for, and I really like this man at first it was jarring for me, but when I when I you know he, he got me into the habit of this. It's not it's not school holidays. It is your um I've forgotten the word now. Oh man. See this is what happens to me on a Sunday night. What do they call it in business? When you get like time off, like holiday, but it's your annual leave. He used to call it annual leave. And that puts a different mindset on it. Tom, it's not school holidays. You're on your annual leave. What are you doing going into school? Do you see what I mean? Reframes there.
3: I I believe I'd like to justify myself and say that if I get it done in the next few days, I'm going to have such a lovely half term five when I get back. I'm not going to be working any evenings and I won't be working weekends. Maybe, maybe the odd evening to get some marking done, but it's going to, it's going to pay dividends if I, get, if I can get this stuff done today and tomorrow. Okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to beat you up about it, but I'm just saying like that is a, a bad thing about teaching and we are here to talk about bad things about teaching and you having to work during your annual leave is, is a bad thing, right? That's all. that's all I'm saying.
3: What about putting on revision sessions in the holidays?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's your annual leave. It's more than the 195 days, right? It's more more than the number of days. I mean, if they gave you time in lieu, if they gave you a day back, like, you know, like stuff.
3: Well, I'm I'm going in on Thursday next week to put on a two-hour revision session for year 13. One of my colleagues is putting on the first two hours. I'm putting on the next two hours. And in return, I've been offered pizza and
2: soy. Sorry, I missed the second bit because I was raging so much. What was the second thing? (laughs) Time off. Time off
0: after exact Oh, yeah, like time
2: off in lieu. That's fine. I nearly, literally, it makes me so angry. Pizza is not pay. We're not in some kind of subsistence. Like, you know, this isn't the... Give me a history word for when, like, feudal something, like
3: primitive yeah like
2: where we work for food you know we work this is not the 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 economy we're in pizza is not pay tweet that out it is domino's pizza is not pay
3: it's domino's i don't
2: care pizza is not pay teachers should not be rogers Rogers, you're
3: not doing anything can you get that tweeted out would you go and run a revision session for pizza pizza is not pay
2: uh we should say welcome Uh, i can see tom's listening in he won't be joining us um, I, I, do, do you know the person I feel sorry for? While, while Tom is is feeling unwell, he has tweeted about this, so so everyone is aware that he's feeling unwell. Is whoever's having to do the delivery of Diet Coke to his house? Right, there must be like you know, like at Christmas they have those lorries. I, I'm, I'm imagining one of those just rocking up every day and a half, just like holidays are coming, but with a Diet Coke lorry.
3: You can you can sponsor them, you know diet coke just two pound a day <laughs> you can fund tom rogers diet coke illness um obsession it,
2: it well, honestly it would i don't think that'd cover it i don't think that'd cover it in all honesty i think multiple people all oh, right yes sorry it. i miss, completely misunderstood how how sponsorship worked <laughs> <laughs> like two pounds not going to cover it what are you talking about two pounds won't cover this right what what
3: you can pay more if you want
2: what are we trying to put into staff room 101 what have we got have we got anything lined up so we can put some feelers out there i can see lots of people joining us there were people here before i joined which i can't believe eager beans what have we got the eager what beans. have we got on the cards that we can you know talk about people can can submit in
3: we've got some i mean well we've got we've got some people here who are regulars into the staff room 101 so daniel for example um, is a regular start for 101, so good evening, and Miss Kendall is here, of course, um, very good evening, and Holly, of course, Holly's first show was last month on Teachers Talk Radio, her next show is on the 15th of this month, um, very much looking forward to that, uh, we've got Nell Johnson, we've got Miss Evans, who I seem to remember co-hosting once upon a time, we've got Mrs N, um, we've got... History teacher, and we have got Laura as well. Um, I'd like to put in unorthodox classroom layouts.
2: Oh, I love this, right? Because you're a secondary teacher, and I am at heart a primary school teacher, right? Indeed. So, you know, I think um, we are going to disagree entirely. Is my outset on this, right? You think? I think we will disagree entirely.
3: I might surprise you, but go if,
2: if it turns out that you're, you know, some kind of progressive history teacher where you've thrown all the desks out the window, like, you know, some kind of uh, dead poet society thing, then it is will come.
3: We call it defenestration
2: in history. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Is that something to do with fen- fenestra window
3: in French, is it? Correct. Fenestra is the Latin for window, apparently. Yeah, well,
2: yeah, it would be uh, from the French. and the, the, like they, Thank you to all... Emma
3: Williams who told me
2: that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Or maybe Italian it is. I forget. I, I pick up little bits of languages and I forget. Okay, so, wait, they want to put in, well, this is where it all gets wrong. They want to put in not normal classroom layouts. Is that what you're saying?
3: So, Tom Rogers tweeted something out earlier today yeah and i'm going to try and find it and i'm going to attach it to this space. i've already
2: put a picture um, by the way of his diet coke um boxes uh in at the top of the thing there so if anyone wants to see quite what we're talking about that's per hour
3: um of how much right I, i've pi- i've pinned it now okay to be space so tom rogers says apparently this beats rose
2: okay oh no i have seen this picture right and I'm, I'm going to give you my my initial response to this was I saw it and was like, yeah, that looks like a classroom I had a few years ago. Mm-hmm. OK, so what we're talking about is there was like a, a nice seating area, right? There was like a, a kind of cushiony seating, those little box sofa things in one corner. There were some like tables where there were two people to a table, maybe like a big group work table, little breakaway pods, you know, that kind of thing. It kind of like it. But that, to me, looks like a primary school.
3: What, on, what, what, what are you teaching them
2: in a layout like? Uh, what do you mean? What am I t- like? Uh, um, anything? You, like you would teach lots of different stuff. Like, admittedly, in a in a primary school, you'd have uh, carpet as well, maybe some carpets. I, I mean, that you could bring them all me. Right? Do you like the look of it? That's my question. That layout, where it's not in rows, do you like the look of it? What's your initial kind of feeling? If it was a star dream, then
3: then yeah, absolutely. Well,
2: let's drag some other people in here, because I'm going to need both primary people, because I'm saying that's fairly normal. Like, if you go into a primary school pre-COVID, you'd see that kind of layout all over the place, particularly down, like, lower down the school. Right? I'm losing you, Tom. I
3: don't want the next... I don't want the next hour or so to be me and Nathan disagreeing all the time. Okay. I want to disagree with somebody else as well. So please do call in.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, if there's anyone there who really likes this or really hates it, that, that that's the most interesting part, right? Do you really like it or do you really hate it? And I'm just flicking through to see if there's any primary school people, secondary school people. Now, Tom, your question to me was what 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 would I teach in a room like that? Losing you a little bit there, Tom. I can't. I can't quite hear you. Are you still there, mate?
3: My apologies. I'm still here. What would you be teaching in a classroom like that? Okay. So first
2: of all, I want to. I want to get out of the way. You are, You understand? Chairs can move, right? Chairs can pivot. Like you can turn your chairs, and even more amazingly, you can turn your body on the chair. Like so, you you can turn your head as well. Like, and this is the bit that people like. So anywhere on that right? Anywhere on that you could sit and if you had an interactive whiteboard or you had a projector, you could say, hey, you know, everyone eyes on me, you know, you do some claps or some clicks or something in the primary school, you know, and uh, you say like eyes on me, right? I'm going to explain something. And I'm going to show you something, right? And you'd show it or you'd explain it. Maybe you'd model it. Now, the other thing that like, I don't know, like this whole idea of having a front to a class, I've never had, right? I've never bought into that. Like maybe one interactive whiteboard. But I'd have other whiteboards around the room, and I'd also have like flip chart paper around on the displays as well. So I'd be walking around. It's like the 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 room doesn't have a front, and if the room doesn't have a front, you can't have rows. Do you see what I mean?
3: I think it's a very I think it's a very maths teacher thing to have the whiteboards all the way around the classroom. I don't know why, but it's something I've always associated with maths teachers.
2: Okay, well, but, but, but uh, possibly. I don't know. But in primary school, like, as I say, that would be entirely normal to me. Okay. So the rows bit, we went, like in COVID, we moved to rows. And I quite like a row and I'd often have bits of rows maybe within a layout like that, where I, like, if I wanted to pull a group to the front, but that's the other bit like that I think I'm more expectant of, or maybe it's a primary school thing is you'd be pulling different groups peel away groups you know one group would be starting on something earlier and different group later you'd be doing multi-different group sessions and things within a session and so this idea that there is everyone listening for you know 10 minutes 20 minutes at the start just wasn't a part of my teaching
3: you're not you're not winning me over here um you're really not winning me over um here's what i'm going to do now i've got um mrs n who has said Hate, with four E's, that layout. Horseshoe and rose all the way. Now, this is, I like a horseshoe. I like a horseshoe layout for a classroom. It may just be the fact that I'm a history teacher. It lends itself well to a lot of the discussions um, in history. Um, But I'm a big fan of a horseshoe. And I'd take a horseshoe over rose. What do you think, Nathan?
2: Uh, like, I mean, yeah, I like a i but I'm, what I'm saying is it's not like, it, it depends on the size of your classroom, right? But also, if you could, like I had this lovely classroom once where over in one corner, I had enough room and I had enough seats for more than enough. So I think I had maybe 25 in my class, right? But I had 35 seats available to me, which means I could do all kinds of like kind of movement around and, you know, I, it's a space thing as well. Like, you know, it breakaway groups and things like that. Like, you, you're able to do that if you have different things.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, I, you can do breakaway groups in rows. Can you? Can you? you, can. Can, you can you? You know how you said you can move for chairs? Yeah. You can move for desks, did you know? Well, but then what's the point of rows? Because you might want to have in rows and then you might want to move the tables and then you might want to put them back in rows.
2: Yeah, so, like, you've lost me here, so our defining thing about rows being better is that you can break the rows.
3: Well, if you want to, if you're that way inclined. Now, I'm not that way inclined. I like my rows and I can do some lovely pair work and I can do some group work to an extent if I really, really wanted to, if I was really adventurous um, with a rows layout. But you know, I think it's really, really important that actually we consider that not everybody thinks the same way that I do. So if you have a different way to me, um, if you're you have a different view, then please do call in. And speaking of callers in, we have Holly who is going to call in. Holly, a very good evening. How are you?
4: I'm alright, how are you doing?
3: Very well, thank you. So tell us what you think about classroom layouts. First of all, that no. layout to which was pinned Tom Rogers tweet.
4: Are you, are you a fan um yeah i saw it, it um it's uh, like yeah it's it's nice um to have the room and the, all the technology available would be the dream to be able to do something like that um yeah especially in secondary i don't i have a tiny classroom uh, but i thought i would call in because um i've been playing around with my classroom layout quite a lot over well since september to see what works And I've tried rows and I've tried the horseshoe and I've tried group tables and I've kind of come to this like hybrid situation between, I've got rows, some rows in the middle of my room and then group tables uh, in the four corners around the outside. So I'm a a hybrid. Interesting.
3: Yeah. Interesting. So it is quite similar in a way to Tom Rogers' layout there, um, where you've got, all sorts of things going on, Nathan. What do you think about the hybrid model?
2: Yeah, I think that's what I'm. You know, I think that's what I'm pro the the, the hybrid model. Now, Holly, uh, let, let, let's, uh, let's 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 contextualise this. What subject are you teaching? English. And what age level? Secondary. Okay. And do you share the classroom with anyone? No. Like, it's just your classroom. Yeah. And I think all of these things, Tom, come into it, right? You know, like some people have other people's furniture setup thrust upon them right and that that's that that's problematic for them because it doesn't sleep it's an extension of your teaching style and an extension of your subject um so i don't know and then and then holly you said you've got rows and tables at the back do you have more than enough seats for the number of children that you had like if you wanted everyone to be in the row could everyone sit in the row
4: um, so I have got enough tables and chairs in there for when I've got Max so year nine are the like biggest year group for us so I can squeeze everyone in there. so there's not enough room or spare seats for anyone to change around um but I've kind of found that um you know the the students that work well, I can put them on a the group table and I can trust them to share ideas, talk on topic. Um, and let them kind of get on I can still move around because when everyone was in rows I was quite limited I couldn't get to everyone so I can manoeuvre around the group tables in between rows to get to the people I need to get to I can write on tables for those low-level kids that really need extra support um, yeah so it's it's working quite well actually uh, at the moment anyway.
2: Right, so, Tom, why would you want her to... Wait, hang on, I've forgotten. Are you pro this or you're anti this, Tom?
3: I am remaining impartial as the host of this Twitter space. Okay, so at the moment,
2: what I'm saying is Holly Fabulous, what what Holly does works for Holly, right? What we need is some staunch, roe advocate. And, like, what would their point be? Like, so you can use that pastor's perch thing, so you can... Like it stops conversation because group work isn't proven to work or something
3: like that, right? Mm. Now I've got a question for you, Nathan. Okay. When COVID, when we came back after COVID the first time, like September 2020, mm-hmm. did you have to change? Well, the chronology might not be right, but wherever you were teaching at that stage, um, right. did you have to move into rows?
2: Um, of sorts, right? Because no one ever said Rose, no one said Rose, right? I know like everyone assumed it was Rose, but what it was, was two meter spacing all facing the same way, right?
4: hmm
2: Right? So most of the classrooms that I was like aware of that we had, had that in some form and... Maybe in rows, but they weren't row-rows. They were like, you know, gaps between the tables. So they were more like individual tables than they were rows. Does that make sense? That's fine. That's fine.
3: That's my number one go-to.
2: So, like, that, I don't see that as rows. Like, I think rows are being like tables that are all bunched together.
3: But I do see that as rows. So, So, like... If if they're all facing... The right way, and they're in some sort of like 4 by 4 or 4 by 5 layout or something like that. Even if they're individual tables, for me, that is rows. I don't think the individual desks have to be joined together for it to be rows. I just think they have to be organised in a row slash column matrix shape. Okay, let's and ask rows. Holly
2: then. Let's ask Holly, your rows that you have, are the tables touching? Yeah. Okay, see, I would call that rows, Tom, see?
4: Yeah, I mean, Maybe that is d-
3: undeniably rose. I don't think anybody's denying that. But if you have sort of like two by two spaced out, sort of like in like an exam style way,
2: yes, I, would yeah, exactly.
3: that, I would call that rose.
2: Okay, so we'll, we'll include that in the rose grouping, right? This kind of exam hall type layout, yeah? We'll, we'll include that in there. But, right, my other issue with what you've said there, Tom, is you said facing the right way.
3: Yep. Facing Ooh. the front. Now, I know Good. you don't have a front and I know you don't, don't have a desk.
2: I don't you believe are... in fronts.
3: <laughs> and you don't I... believe in the teacher having their own desk in the I... classroom?
2: Not in the sense of having somewhere to sit, like not somewhere that you teach from. No, I don't believe in that. But that that might be the fact that I like to move around a lot within myself. Apparently, I'm I'm quite in it pacey kind of person i walk around but yeah like this I there is a clearly most people can only have one projector i agree with that or interactive whiteboard but that doesn't mean that's where all of the information is delivered from or should be or could be or maybe not in every lesson like you're letting the projector define your classroom
3: so would you say nathan you are a guide on the side or a sage on the stage
2: Like, well, I suppose it depends, right? Often, and I'll tell you this, often when I was teaching maybe like year four, this would be, and we had something to watch. I sat at the back of the room with a a wireless keyboard and mouse controlling the, 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 the TV at the front, right? And I'd talk to them like so that they were looking at it. They weren't necessarily looking at me, but just hearing my voice. And I'd do it like that. Right. And I'd be sad at the back because wireless stuff exists. I don't know many people that use an interactive whiteboard as an actual interactive whiteboard, like writing on it, controlling it like in themselves. I know people use it as a projector. I don't know many people that use it. And if it's a projector, you can control that from anywhere. Right. a by, by by, slightly, by a
3: clicker. Um... It's like the up. unconnected note, and to go on a bit of a tangent, have we already put interactive whiteboards into Star Room One Hundred and One? I think we did. I think we I put think in. We so, if that's yeah. they cannot be mentioned,
2: oh, okay. Well, the 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 big thing at the front that your PowerPoint's on, that thing, <laughs> the the blank wall now that your PowerPoint is projecting onto, right? That only exists there, and also not everything has to come from a PowerPoint, does it? Like what I'm saying is, like you could be talking to them right and if you're talking to them you don't need to be sat at a desk you don't need to be stood in front of the screen in that case that talking could be happening anywhere and they could actually be like turning their heads a little as you're walking around the room sort of explaining and discussing and pulling on different points and and that kind you, of stuff do
3: you walk and talk then
2: i i, I am capable of walking and talking i, I don't understand but is that a defined like thing you know i haven't read teach like a champion is that i, don't,
3: I, I, I don't mind talking in different parts of a room yeah they yeah. mind that but I find that walking and talking at the same time can sometimes confuse the students and in terms of their having to sort of follow you as you walk around the room and they're trying to work out what you're saying as well trying to understand what it is you're saying so I, I'm more than happy to go and stand outside side of a classroom and say something um, or explain something but I'm not then going to walk to the front while I'm explaining something at the same time. And this is one of my bugbears as well in my work with sort of like trainee teachers and new teachers um, is when they're sort of handing out resources and they're telling the students what to do at the same time. It just gets a bit too much for them. So I don't like walking and talking. I don't mind talking in, in places in the classroom which aren't the front, but walking and talking for me is a no.
2: Oh, do you know what? It's deep, right? It's deep. But, I, I don't know, I like, it's something I do, and I find it, you know, moving around, it means I can focus on different pupils, different things. Like, they're not focusing on me, I'm focusing on them. Am I sh- I'm showing myself up to be, like, a kind of If you're, if you're explaining like,
3: something, and students yeah. aren't focusing on you, what are they doing?
2: Wait, at the front? Or as I'm walking
3: around? You just said, when you're, you're focusing on them, they're not focusing on you. I... Is this when they're working independently or doing some work or while you're telling them something?
2: Okay, so if they're doing some work, right, say they're doing something, and I know it's from the cohort of the class, right, and say, hey, right, something's not going right. There's a misconception I want to stop everyone for, and I want to address that misconception. And I say, hey, guys, you know, I do some claps or some snaps or some, you know, whatever, like your call and respond thing to get the class attention. Right, stop. Mm -hmm. everyone eyes on me for a second and they'll put their pens down and they'll maybe turn around on their chair or they'll maybe look at wherever i am and wherever i am is best and i might be writing on a wall at the side like okay this is what we're doing this is you know because i'd have a a whiteboard on that side of the classroom or a wall down again like that there and they can all look at me there and they can all see that i'm doing it and then i might go right so we've got this on this board here and we've got the stuff still on the front Right, now get back to it. And then I go back to kind of, I think they call it helicopter teaching, is it? Like moving around?
3: Helicopter teaching? I don't know what helicopter teaching is, to be honest with you. That's the first I've heard of it.
2: Okay, have we got a new speaker here?
3: We do. We have got history teacher who seven minutes ago tweeted the following. "Four's not rose for me. Angled so that all students can see the board. We are PP teachers with collab learning, have taught in three tables of 10 in the past. So history teacher 76, very good evening. How are you? Hello,
5: I'm fine. Thank you. I'm running up the stairs so my children can't hear me speak. So I'm just sneaking (laughs) into a room.
4: There we go. Fantastic.
3: We'll we'll do a bit of filler while you are frantically trying to find the room. So tell us about, oh, tell us about some of your most unorthodox table desk arrangements in your his- in your history teaching career to date we oh, like this three, three tables of 10 things
5: yeah so i used to have three big conference type tables in my classroom and i was the only person in the school who had it but it worked really well actually because um i suppose the tables were quite wide enough so students couldn't be distracted by each other but were still facing each other and still able to collaborate.
3: Fantastic. So, how does that sort of work compared to some of your other sort of season plan arrangements?
5: Well, I, pre- I prefer tables of four um, and then mi- within that set, they're mixed ability tables uh, in a mixed ability class. Um, so, I have And it's trust policy, to be honest with you, but I I really like it. So we've got a high achiever, a high medium achiever, a low medium achiever and a low achiever on that table. And so within that, they work within shoulder partners or face partners, depending on the task. Within that, we also have collaborative learning so they can work with other students from other tables within the class. So they're up out of their chairs and moving around the classroom. But then on top of that, we also have direct instruction from the front of the class.
3: So, best of all worlds, really, isn't it? Yeah, it well, Nathan, is. Nathan, Nathan, what Wait, do you think of that? Any I'm not not this, you've got to ask? Right. Yeah, I, so, uh,
2: the, the shoulder partners. And what was the other one? Face partners. Face, I love that. I've never heard it called that before. Is that like a thing that your school has invented, or is that from a book somewhere or something?
5: It, it's actually from Make It Stick.
2: Yeah,
3: I've heard of shoulder
2: partners before, Nathan. Well, the reason you've heard of shoulder partners and not face partners is none of your children are facing each other, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) They're all shoulder partners, aren't they? Because they're all shoulder to shoulder in your rows. Whereas face partners, no, I like that, right? It's a nice
5: way of mixing it up. I like that. Yeah, so if you've got the high ability learner opposite the high-medium ability learner, and then you've got the... Sorry about this. This is going to sound confusing. I wish I had a diagram. And then you've got the high ability learner next to the low medium learner. Then the lowest, me- the lowest learner is up off- is diagonal to the highest achiever. So your tasks can be differentiated in a sense based on ability within that set. So if I was going to do, say, paired reading, I would have shoulder partners reading because they're the closest to each other. But if I was going to do an evaluation task... I'd probably use face partners.
3: Interesting. Okay. Holly, Holly was applauding oh. that. Holly, I want to bring you in. What are your thoughts on that?
4: <clears throat> I think that's a brilliant idea. Um, and actually, it's something that, um, I mean, during training last year, it was all you stay in a two-meter box that's taped off on the carpet down the front, and everyone's facing forward, so... experience and that is quite lacking and i've I've got mixed ability classes and so that's why i've kind of got a mixture of group tables and rows um for those that i think you know need it and work well but um i might try out shoulder so was it shoulder partners and forward-facing partners yeah 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 yeah. so it's out of the book make it stick so there's
5: a full chapter on it i think on your seating plans and how they can be used
3: fascinating fascinating well, the, the, the thing that we're facing. Now. so Nathan you yeah, sorry, are the thing that we're facing are, here
2: is that there, there's no one defending Rose like Rose as in like they must sit in Rose I'm sure there are some people who think you know okay so we've heard maybe like a cognitive load thing don't walk and talk we've heard maybe like a focal thing like everyone can see the front uh, you know we, we've heard maybe that and I know nobody's really talked about group work as in, like, the the, the the kind of fluffy, oh, it's better that we group work and help each other, but a little bit of collegiate kind of, you know, uh, working together or discussing things, you know, I, I can't see how that helps. So, like, I haven't heard anything that to me that suggests, like, okay, so it was an extreme example uh, Tom Rogers shared, but... I don't know. I, I, I can't hear any... Any arguments against
3: it? I'm just looking to see what the, what the research says. Um, I'm looking at what a teacher toolkit has said, um, and I'm trying to see if he's going to defend race. He says, the thing is, I've never really stuck to one way of working in class. Children like routine and predictability, but sitting in race for a whole year is lopsided and unhealthy. They experience learning in just one way and from one perspective. So he calls sitting in rows an educational super fad. Maybe we've got to put Rose into Staff Room 101. Oh, I'd, I'd, yeah. You know,
2: I would far rather have the weird and wacky classroom than the, the, the one where it's like Rose. And I know everyone has come down kind of somewhere in the middle, but I think I'd still rather have the weird and wacky one. And I, But that's suiting my teaching style, right?
3: Hmm. well so, let's have let's have a look at what gavin williamson has to say
2: Shall what we? does what does first of all how are you going to qualify that what's his what's his background where's his you know where's his experience what what's does what's the part uh, of
3: time he was education secretary in a time we've all erased from our memories Nathan? i, I i'm familiar I am familiar with the
2: concept of Gavin Williamson. and What I'm less familiar with is the, the 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 weight of experience that he's bringing to a discussion about whether we should sit in rows. Go on, tell me right. what he has to think. This, this is going
3: September be... 2020. Yeah, Gavin Williamson, now it's behind the paywall, so I can't read all of it, but it says, Gavin <laughs> Williamson said that he wants all children to face the front of a classroom when schools reopen in September. He told Tory MPs that he was concerned that in many classrooms children were sitting at round or square tables facing one another. He said the approach was wrong and that he wanted to get the class to pay attention to the teacher when lessons resumed. Um, so that's what Gavin Williamson has to say. Oh,
2: my God. I, right. I can't, like so much of this. Right. So, first of all, it's Gavin Williamson saying I'm immediately my back is up. But oh circular tables it's destroying education isn't it so those circular tables like people don't have necks like people don't have torsos that twist do you know what i mean like you, you have an ability to turn and, and chairs by their very nature right? unless they're bolted to the ground like you know you can turn your chair as well and I understand some of those things might be annoying and you know if you're writing something down you don't want to be craning your neck It'll be, you know this efficiency for working but i don't think he's saying that I don't know. I I can't see anything there unless there is someone who can come and like really define for me their Gavin Williamson ideal of how terrible it is that a kid might work at a circular table. Shall, Shall
3: we make, we'll make your decision then which is are we putting unorthodox classroom layouts into staff room 101?
2: I re- I reject it, and I also reject the term unorthodox classroom layout because that is comes with the assumption that the standard orthodoxy is rows and the rest of us are somehow weird and wacky teachers who are using circular tables and those crazy progressives with their circular tables. Do you see what I mean? So I, I'm rejecting not only that, but I'm rejecting the phrasing of it as well.
3: You Double rejection. Provoked the eye of Tom Rogers, who has tweeted, an argument for Rose, classroom management. I've always found this easier to manage than pods or other layouts. Surely there is someone who can call and defend Rose on his behalf as he can't due to COVID. Um, other tweets in, Mrs. N says, whatever Gavin says, I will do 100% of the opposite. I'll stick tables to the ceiling if needs <laughs> to be. Yeah. Mrs. N. yeah, love that. Uh, Mr. Cornish says, um Shoulder partners, face partners are from Kagan collaborative learning strategy.
2: Okay, yep. Kagan My okay. That's something
3: else for staff room one hundred and one. I think in the future show Kagan structures. I don't know what that means. Is that something like things like think pair share and quiz quiz trade and things like that? Oh no, I like that. But, well, but you we all say. like think pair share. But there's some other wacky ones like oh. and Robin and stuff. Well, come on,
2: because you, like. you were trying to suggest that circular tables were wacky a minute ago you know oh look the history teacher there is waving you can unmute yourself if you if you meant to wave sorry i forgot your your actual name there it's, it's deb deb <laughs> um, go on you were going to add something
5: i, I dispute that tom i really like rally robin <laughs> oh
3: okay. well, well we'll we'll come on to that in a future starframe 101 i think yeah. um, let me just have a look um, dbi part of a badge or set says I love a row it means kids can turn and talk to one person. I can live mark efficiently. I can say three, two, one back to the front, and it's obvious what she's asking for. Okay, so D-
2: right. No DBI there. I have a lot of time for that. I have a lot of time for that. You know, it's clearly thought through. You know, it's it, keeping things simple. Use the shoulder things. That's enough. You've got two shoulders, so you can turn either way, right? So, so that for me works. I guess unless you're on the end of the row. That makes sense. Back to the front, keeps it simple. Whereas in my model, I was wandering around the classroom and like eyes on me, like back to the front, I suppose, you know, at least that makes sense. And the efficiency of being able to to get to the tables, you know, to be able to mark if you've got enough space in front of them that you can like whiz down a row. I like that. So those are actually some, those are the strongest points that I've heard so far for a row system.
3: Shall we move on? To our next staff room one hundred and one contender.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear what's next. Eton so,
3: College.
2: Um. Okay. In 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 what context? Or is it just the word like? Give me the context. Is there any context around this one?
3: The, well, they've been setting up schools
2: in the north haven't they and do you know one of the things that I heard about this and I don't know if this is true because I just read stuff on Twitter and I don't have time to research everything so it might not be true but one of the things I heard about that is one of their solutions right how are we going to do it what we're going to do is we're going to give them a million pound extra funding each I was like yeah right that's not like that's not brain like that's not oh, of course giving people extra I could have done that Do you see what I mean? I could have done that. I could have said, oh, actually, we'll just give people a million pounds. School's an extra million pounds. It didn't take Eton to do that. Someone at Eton just went, I've got the secret. It's extra funding. You know, tick. So immediately my back's up against that. (laughs) I don't know. I teach so far away from Eton that I am not probably in a good place to make any decisions on this. Like I teach in a alternative provision in one of the poorest parts of Wales like my so i don't know what is eton going to tell me and the kids i've got about what they're dealing with that would be my issue
3: well I'm if, you, if, well, if you think it's all an eton mess at the moment then please do tweet <laughs> like star 101 um if you hear the context behind this of course this is the 11th of march 2022 um so about three weeks ago now Um, Star Academies and Eton College announced they intend to open three academic sixth form colleges in Dudley, Middlesbrough and Oldham. The new post-16 colleges are being designed to give young people who have done well in their GCSEs the opportunity to achieve the A-levels they need to go to Oxbridge and other elite universities. Um, They're hoping to welcome their first students as soon as 2025. Um, If these bids are successful, the new colleges will be part of Star Academies, which runs both primary and secondary schools in communities which face significant challenges, including in the North, East and West Midlands. Um, It is by many measures one of the best performing multi-academy trusts in the country. The colleges will be overseen by a joint partnership board of representatives of Eton and Star Academies. Um, They've chosen Dudley Middlesbrough and Oldham because around a third of young people have achieved five good passes at GCSE. But fewer than ten percent of students achieve the kind of A-level grades needed to win places at the top one third of UK universities. Now, do you remember when this came out, Nathan?
2: Vaguely. I'm more interested in star, to be honest. Why didn't they just go with star? Why did they just have? Why did they throw Eton in there as well, just for the name, innit? Well, that's it what I'm saying. It's it's just, I'm, a,
3: this is where I'm, my knowledge becomes a bit more patchy, but. In order for the schools in the independent sector to have charitable status, they need to actually do things which are charitable. So I may be completely wrong here, and I'd love it if somebody could come in and correct me. Is this a way of sort of maintaining the way that they're being charitable and they're doing things to help uh, people who are worse off? Is it a way of sort of justifying their existence?
2: Okay. Oh, go on. Um, um, Sorry. Yeah.
5: I'm 15 minutes away from Middlesbrough Mm
6: -hmm.
5: and I have to say it hasn't gone down particularly well in the North East about Eton joining because we have some fantastic colleges here anyway and the argument is that that money should be put into those colleges rather than set up an elitist sort of college Um, and the money, it's all in the name of levelling up I know but that that money should be invested within the colleges that we already have rather than set up this elitist sort of system. Sorry.
2: No, by all means, you know, like, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear that. What I would be interested to hear from as well, Tom, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm I'm scrolling through, but people don't tend to say these kind of things. There may well be someone who's listening, who has been to what's perceived to be a like a, a really good college, you know, a really good school, maybe like, Is it substantively like, or maybe they teach in one, maybe they have experience teaching. I only went to a really, you know, generally poor comp, you know, and then I I teach in, as I say, kind of fairly tough situations. So I don't have the background to say, actually, do you know what? We all need a little bit of this. We all need a little bit of this, whatever Eaton is bringing to the mix. I'm really interested in what Star brings. It sounds like they've got the experience and they've got the – the background to deliver on this what's eaton bringing and also is your question should eaton involving themselves in this stuff go into the mix or are you asking me should like private schools go into room 101 because that's like a whole different question
3: i i, I think the privates you know i think that's an interesting question i think there's an interesting question about actually is he does eaton actually do what it says on the tin is it actually sort of the best environment for exam results or is it like many private schools, is it a way of sort of you know building those social networks and building that networking and allowing people to get a bit of a leg up? Um and is that is that justification for its existence? And if we think about all of the old Etonians who have been passed government in the last ten years, um are there not people out there who could have done a better job or is that me being a bit too political? If you do think that actually we need as many or more old Italians in government. Please do call in because I don't just want this all to be one big diatribe from myself. Maybe.
2: Yeah, big diatribe from me instead. Like, you know, I think one of the issues that you have here, you know, and as we heard about, you know, from um, history teacher up near Middlesbrough is like I grew up in Cambridge. I have a massive chip on my shoulder about privilege and private school and all of those things. Town and gown and never the twain shall meet. You know, I was a townie and there was a whole part of town of the city of Cambridge that I never went to, wasn't allowed to, you know, wasn't invited to. And there is a separation of that. And so bridging that in some way, maybe uh, that is a good thing, getting people access to Oxbridge. That's a good thing as well, right? People, you know, from, from different communities. Is Eton coming in and sticking their nose in the right way to do it? I think it's going to get people's backs up.
3: Mm-hmm. I've just shared a tweet from Laura, um, who knows much more than I do about these things, who says, um, Eton is bringing the money, and there is a concern from the public schools that if Labour gets into power in the future, they will, they will lose the charitable tax benefits. So moves like this are defensive against this sort of policy. So thanks for that. Um, looking at what The Guardian has said, Josh Halliday, who um, reports from the North, North of England in The Guardian, um, he's reported that the head teacher of Eton College has said that its plans to open free Eton to the North in deprived areas of England would not cream off the bright kids from local schools amid concern from educators. Because of course, the big question is, is this going to create what is offensively a grammar school system in all but name? whereby you're taking off the top kids at 16 to 18 and putting them in this sort of elite school system um, and then just having sort of like this second-tier, second-status system as well.
2: Like, Tom, do you know, does anyone listening know anyone who is a a teacher at Eton, an ex-teacher at Eton, who has, you know, put back into the educational uh, community in that sense, like whether we see them... uh, I see people from other schools, other well heard of schools and things like that, and they're doing webinars, they're talking, uh, you know, conferences, those kind of things, you know, uh, they're writing books, you know, do do the teachers from Eton, are they, I don't know, I, I just don't know anything about them. Does that make sense? Like no, movie. it
3: makes perfect sense, and hopefully to help us with some of this, although I'm not entirely sure she will, but I'm sure she'll give it a good go. Um, we've got Miss Evans as well, who's been the speaker on um, Twitter Spaces Starfrew One Hundred and One before. So, Miss Evans, how are you doing this evening?
1: Good
7: evening. I'm all right. How are you?
3: Very well, thank you. So, tell us, these Eatons of the North, are you a fan? Um,
7: well, I don't know much about this Eaton... um article on what's happening with Eton up north what I do know is um, I've got a family member that works in a top fee paying private school Um, and I work in one of the poorest areas of Wales as well so we've got the second highest rate of child poverty and both me and this family member went to the school I work in so we're used to going to the school with the worst reputation in the area and things and she now works in this top private school. And we have actually linked my school and her school together um, because, as you were saying earlier, part of those schools having their chargeable status is actually doing chargeable deeds. Um, and I'm not sure what, what Eton are doing up there with academies, because obviously in Wales, I really don't like academies or pay much attention to that kind of stuff. But I can see why people get upset about um, fee-paying schools and the sort of elitist approach to things, but I'm in a situation where my school and my students benefit massively from having that charitable support from a fee-paying school, so much so that they actually pay for a lot of charitable um, events, a lot of our students go and visit that school, Um, they get taken on a lot of opportunities that we wouldn't necessarily be able to offer using their links and the money that they have from their students. Um, and what I do find in these large fee-paying schools is they've got a lot of different roles that I find state education can't provide so because of the money that they have you know regardless of the politics of how you feel about where that comes from um, there are a lot of staff there that have lots and lots of different roles that support um, the different charity events that they run things that they offer their own students things they offer ours Um, and my family member has actually gone to a sort of a science meetup with some of the Eton teachers. I don't know any of them personally. Um, and I don't know anybody in Eton. But what I would say is from staff members that I also know uh, through my family member who work in other fee paying schools, whenever I ask for any help or support, they're more than happy to give it just from a friendly point of view, because a lot of those teachers have come from state education. There are lots of staff there that have made the move. Um, and understand the background. Like my school benefited from lots of free resources from the technology department that they've just given to us, including printers and things. Um, and although technically state schools should be receiving money to fund that themselves, I and I'm, I'm and I know the system isn't perfect. I do feel that sometimes it fee-paying schools and some of the staff seem a little bit demonized and actually there's a lot of charitable and supportive people that are willing to spend their time and money supporting schools such as mine that don't have the finances or the opportunities.
2: Okay Miss Evans, I'm really interested in this because obviously money is money and we know money yeah. is an issue and and that kind of bit. But the bit that I'm really interested in there is you talking about this kind of educational sharing. Yeah. Right. You know, like resources or just even kind of techniques, that kind of thing. And like aside from this family link have you ever had interactions that you would be, be like ever similar with um like fee paying educators and this is where i think there is a divide we don't mix i don't you know i can't say that i've ever bumped into anyone like uh teach me but i wouldn't because their local authority maybe or do you see yeah. what i mean
7: i think it depends but, on their outreach program. so there are some fee paying schools in south wales that you Probably no one I won't name, but it depends on how good their outreach programs are. So I think also it depends on the size of the fee paying school. I think it depends on what staffing roles they have. But um, my family member said, "Why do you can always reach out and say to some of these uh, private schools, you know, as part of your outreach program, what are you offering?" And I think sometimes it's um, having uh, not just waiting for fee paying schools to come to you, but actually going and saying, "What are you doing? What can you provide us?" Let's have links and having that networking. Um, because I actually find networking on Twitter and all of the stuff that goes on with Teacher Talk Radio and all of the spaces and things um, really grave networking. But I think a lot more goes on between some of the feeping schools between each other. And her advice was just go and seek it out as well. Because often when you go and ask, they're more than happy to provide, you know, regardless of the whole larger political situation of the system. I'm just thinking on a, you know, a, a monthly, termly basis of how I can best support the kids I've got in front of me now. Um, But no, I don't think before, in honesty, before she worked there, I didn't actually have any direct links. But since I've been engaging with this private school and and others, I feel more comfortable going and seeking out and saying, oh, you know, and just saying, what is your outreach programme? Can we be a part of it? What can you offer us? Um, And seek it out myself. But I think that is purely from my experience as it stands at the moment.
2: No, I think that's really interesting for people to hear because it is like, I would say, you know, a lot of us won't have been involved with fee-paying schools. A lot of us probably didn't attend, maybe. Um, Some of us might have contacts or family members. Like, I know a couple of people. But it's seen, I would say, and maybe, Tom, you want to, you know, cut me off here or someone wants to call in and say something different. I would say it seems quite closed off. Like, it seems like quite literally another world. And I would probably agree then, and I am guilty of this of anyone of, not tarring with the brush, or maybe, but, like you know, of saying, like, well, those teachers are part of that system and so they must be horrible and, like, a horrible thing because it's part of a system I maybe don't disagree with, when, in fact, they're teachers, like me.
3: Mm. There's, there's this interesting idea, isn't there, that, and it's certainly something which has been communicated um, in my school, that once you go to a private sector as a teacher, it's very very difficult to get yourself back into the state sector that's certainly something which is quite common a common belief in my state academy um school so do they say why it's the the idea that actually once you've been in that environment for a certain amount of time you you lose some of perhaps the skill set or the experience which comes from working in the state sector and there's a different set of pressures in the independent sector so for example one of our um, trainees at the moment one of our history trainees has got a job in the local independent school next year as an ECT and we've said we said to her that's really great and you'll get a fantastic induction you become a fantastic teacher because she's a fantastic trainee but it may then be really really difficult for her to then get a job in the state sector
2: but that must be people The people in the state sector are employed, and that's head teachers in the state sector who were once teachers in the middle leaders. And you see what I mean? They've come up through it, and they're saying it's their perception of. And what I'm saying is, like, I don't know that there is enough movement between them for any of that to be based on any sort of reality. Like, it's just all based on bias, right? The fact that I make it to head teacher, and my bias is, oh, teaching in a private school must be easy because all the kids have got tutors and. Tablets, and I impose that. Like, it's, do you see what I mean? There's no if there's no crossover between. How do we know that that's even true?
3: Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. Is it a folk legend? Is there, is there truth to it? Um, yeah, like
2: a myth. Is it just yeah, like you said, a folk legend that 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 that, that in the same way is it a folk legend that the 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 conservatives are putting out at the moment that Eton is a better education they're just peddling it the other way around do you see what i mean
3: yeah i see exactly what you mean um drama shaz has tweeted us and said the fee paying schools are justifiably demonized stuff their charity um, so tell us what you really think shaz yes okay. on the fence then um, i'm trying to find everybody's favorite um free school head teacher and what she said about um eton do
2: you know who I'm on about? No, no I, no, I don't. I honestly, I I, 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 don't really have a good idea about what a uh, free school is. In all Mrs. honesty, Miss Catherine
3: Burblesy.
2: Well, I quite like her. Like you I, quite I tend, like her. I tend to agree with her. Like I'm sorry. Like I know. Like that's going against the grain because I was like all like all circular tables and stuff a minute ago, but no, like she's not wrong there's some tough neighborhoods that she she's talking about and she she's done some good stuff
3: oh, i know nothing about in teaching in inner city london so if people do know about it and and know much much more than i do then please do call in um of course our very own Tabitha mackintosh shared last month um, a picture which was um, published in the times of a photo of young etonians at lord's cricket ground sporting ill-fitting and creased cricket blazers Looking more tough than tough, it sparked the question of why Eton's uniform standards are slipping. And more importantly, who's to blame? Um, Catherine Burblesing, um replied to this and said, if it's happening at Eton, then they need to sort themselves out. The real problem comes when you have a uniform, but you don't enforce the rules. Because what you're saying to the children is, I've told you to do X, but my word doesn't mean anything. And I'm never going to follow through on what I say. And that means they can never believe you. Somebody replied to that, saying slippery slope leading to knife crime. Your thoughts on that one,
2: Nathan? Oh, no. Indubitably, I kind of agree with that, right? Like, you know, but my issue is, for a start, I've seen that photo. They didn't look tough. (laughs) Like, they, they, they still looked posh. Right, they still they still look like eating boys who just had their corner of their shirt untucked a bit. Right, so first of all, there's that, and it's not wrong, you know. Like wherever you draw the line, that's the line, okay. And for me, most of the time, that's that's being you know some of the time I'm talking about having breakfast, having some clean clothes, and that's a different line for different schools. But there's still got to be a line, and if there shouldn't be excuses with those boys, right? If they've set the standard, then you know, she's right, you should expect it. It's just we've all got different lines, you know, we're all working in different contexts. But yeah, you know, the, the, the knife crime bit's a bit of a, a bit of a push, right? But it's, she's not wrong, in a sense. She's not wrong. And I kind of agree. As I say, I grew up in Cambridge. I've seen that. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen some of the Bullingdon Club type attitude. You know, I've, I've been around that. Right. And that is something that I would not want, do not want anywhere near public schools, private schools. What which one are we? Public state schools, whatever it is. You want
3: it's confusing, it. isn't it? With state schools, public
2: school. What is a public school? I think that's a, oh, I, I lose track of this. The, the, the main ones, the state funded schools. There is there is some bad stuff that you hear about. Now, I, I've not been, as I say, I've been around. I've not been in, so I wouldn't know for sure. But if you are managing it through that kind of culture, if, it, if we're saying it's cultural, if we're saying we're helping build a, a culture and expectation, some of that stuff hasn't worked out all right, maybe hasn't worked out all right for us as a country either, judging by what happens when they get to the top. So mm. that's all I'm saying.
3: So we've been on this topic for 20 minutes now, would you believe?
2: Yeah, and I'm, I'm no real closer to it. My biggest issue is I don't know why they're involved.
3: The money? Apart from their name. Giving money. Well, money and their name. And they get to feel good about it, surely. Oh,
2: if it mm, That makes me feel even worse about it.
3: So, shall we have some final thoughts before we... Yeah,
2: wrap, wrap up some final people. If there's anyone who wants to defend this, send, send them in.
3: I'm bringing Kieran in at the moment because Kieran looks as if he knows what he's on about. So, Kieran, a very good evening. How are you doing?
8: I'm very well, thanks. I'm just listening with interest to your conversation.
3: Uh,
2: Now, Kieran, this looks really interesting. So, like, your principal at Durham Cathedral, oh, sorry,
8: I've clicked on it there, um, school, a foundation,
2: boarding and day Yeah, that's
8: right, yeah. So we're an independent school in the northeast of England.
2: OK, so like this has been really interesting because I think we found out that like at least one of the things is like there seems to be like a fake wall, a, a, an imaginary wall between state and private. Do your teachers do like is there a mixture between from your point of view? I'm saying on my side, I've never really met. I've never
8: really talked to, uh, you know, um, in that sense. Do you think there's a divide? Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, certainly, I mean, we're an independent school, um, but a lot of our teachers, the, the majority of our teachers would say have worked in the in the state system before coming to us and, and a number of our teachers leave and go into the state system as well. So I don't think there is necessarily a, a kind of big wall between us. And I, I think in the northeast, perhaps it's slightly different from other parts of the country. But, but um, I think teachers generally in the northeast want to work at, at schools for for a variety of different reasons, and so they'll choose, you know, their next appointment, as it were, based on a, on a number of different reasons. So I, I certainly haven't spotted a resentment or any kind of um, divide between state and private school teachers in that kind of way. I, I think I was more interested, to be honest, in your, your um, comments as to why uh, Eton were getting involved in in sort of the, the setting up of the academies in the, in the northeast and the northwest, and I think. I realise there's a degree of cynicism about it, and I, and, you know, I, I, as I say, I, I can see um, why people might feel that, you know, it's an element of, of dealing with the, the potential threats with charitable status and so on. But I do think there is a real sense of of mission here, and I think they are they are wanting to to level up or use whatever language you would might like to to use about it. But I think there is a sense of of wanting to provide opportunities and widening participation for youngsters in in areas which are a long way from the southeast of england so, so kieran if,
3: if charity starts at home why aren't eton doing this in slough
8: well i think i, I look i'm no expert on eton I, w- I would have to say but i think they do have connections with schools in the slough area and i think they have been involved in in schools in in london as well and yes i i Would take that point in the sense that I think there are lots of schools in the north of England who are also doing lots of really good work in terms of of outreach and and widening participation but there is a brand associated with Eton and I suppose that attracts a degree of interest I guess if this was another independent school that might be less well known nobody would be having this conversation so I suppose there is an element of of using the the weight that's behind them to to try and achieve some good. I think it is slightly unfair, and I suppose, I, I you know, I'm, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's slightly unfair to judge the school as it is now by some of the alumni who are, you know, my age, as it were, and who left the school 30 or 40 years ago, who, you know, I dare say the school has moved on from necessarily catering for those kind of people.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want people to judge my school or like at least the school I went to certainly by, by the people who came out. But I think there is certainly like, there's a perception of it. And I think this is where, you know, we, if Eton are using it and the the government, whoever's setting up the scheme, are using the Eton brand name as a, like as a part of it, like you said, like it's like to, to leverage some good, then they also have to accept then that the bad, that's going to come to it. And I don't know whether it is like, Clearly, it has like prestige to it. Right. Yeah. You know, my question is. So pedagogically, teaching wise, all of those things, would you see yourself in your school in in line? You know, do you consider yourself to be a, a good school, an outstanding school, all of those things with state schools? Does it work the same way?
8: Well, yeah, I mean, we have an inspection system in the same kind of way. I mean, and obviously I'm going to say that I think we're a good school because I think we are. I think we're a very good school. But I think it's I don't think necessarily it's the it's the pedagogy that's the most important thing that that Eton will be lending to these schools. I think it is. I I mean, we have a bursary program um, in our school, which is obviously a much more modest um, sort of contribution to, to that kind of debate. But I think the key thing for us is is raising aspirations. And, and um, in terms of the bursary pupils that we've had over the last few years, what's been really gratifying for me is to see them going back into the communities and raising aspirations for the kids around them. And I'm talking about, you know, sort of relatively underprivileged areas of the, of, of the northeast, you know, Sunderland and so on. Um, I'm not talking about, um, you know, sort of uh, the, the impoverished middle classes, as it were. And I think that's where perhaps... The, the, the sort of the debate's been slightly confused in the sense that Eton is trying to, you know, sort of cherry pick or, or, or through the, the Star Academy's vehicle kind of build a reputation for themselves, which isn't justified. I think what they're trying to do is, is um, as I say, address the levelling up agenda and, and allowing kids from, from different backgrounds to access an education and uh, a university entrance program that they wouldn't otherwise have enjoyed
2: now like and i understand mate. we've maybe. got shaz here who's going to join us in a second right my only issue that i'd come back before we let um shaz sort of because uh, she's been tweeting some things as well um would be that I, I see that someone else could come and save our communities but my issue with that would be can we not save ourselves can we not set our own high expectations so that would be one of the things i'd say Now, Shaz, you've joined us. Are you there? Shaz, I'm going to say you can't swear in this part, Okay? I'm just going to put that in, Shaz. You okay with that? You're right?
6: Hey, how are you doing?
2: Okay. so what's your opinion on private schools? I'm going to say, like, private schools coming and saving us in the state sector.
6: You know what they can do?
2: I did say no swearing. Be careful, please. I'm not
6: going to swear. Honestly, I'm not going to swear promise. Go on then,
2: what's your your opinion of that?
6: Okay, so um, I have experience with, with my daughter who really didn't work out in mainstream education. So here you go. I had to put her into a private school, otherwise she was going to be permanently excluded from absolutely everywhere. And so I did and it was a bit cute but it was like how much bunny is that it's just ridiculous and actually when i realized and i got to know who the teachers were that that no what they are not better teachers than the teachers in the education why are they now so much better than us
2: Okay, Shaz, we are losing you a little bit now. I think there's a bit of an echo coming through, so we might not be able to keep you on forever. Um, So, Kieran, there there is a question there, and it is this, and I I guess, you know, the money we've talked about, and Miss Evans was really positive about that, and I really took some of that on board, this idea that there is, you know, money and funding, but is there more than that, in your opinion? Is there more we can learn from each other? Is there there things that we can do more than just money?
8: Yeah, I'm sure there, there are. Um, I, I suppose I would take slight exception to the the phrase of kind of saving us. I mean, I don't think Eton are coming in to save the northeast and the northwest of England. I think that's probably a slight misinterpretation of what they're trying to do. I think it is about raising aspirations. And I think any kind of um, collaboration, and, and we've seen it, again, on a smaller scale in our school, we've got partnerships with with schools in the local area where we've, we've both learned from each other. And so I think it's not about people riding to the rescue and i suppose i would you know somebody who's based in the northeast would resent the implication that we needed a school from the southeast of england to ride to our rescue i don't think i don't think it's about that what i think it's about is is raising aspirations um and you know obviously i can't comment about individual private school teachers but in our school we're very you know we have a, a fantastic um skills base across the the teaching body but lots of state, state schools in the area do as well so i think collaboration between the independent and state sector has got to be for the benefit of both, I would say.
3: Is it not a bit too little too late by the time you get to 16? If we consider, I mean, most of the politicians agree and most education policy people believe that, you know, the best place to address educational disadvantage is not really with 16 plus, it's in the early years it's been things like sure start and it's with nurseries and it's with that sort of you know that those very early baby steps if you like in terms of education so why so why not address it there rather than wait until the age of the year? i
8: wouldn't i wouldn't disagree with that and i think um i think you're right i think I, I suppose from a practical point of view you've got to look at what what schools are able to do and and i don't know that eton or, or any other independent school in that kind of um, with that kind of profile, could could open a short short start or or kind of primary school um, collaboration. But but I take your point on that. I suppose the second thing I would say is there was an interesting study published by the um, Education Data Lab uh, just a few days ago about pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds and what they go on to study in the sixth form. And there's a, um, a disproportionately low number of pupils who go on to study A levels and go off to. Um, the kind of Russell Group universities and so on from disadvantaged backgrounds than from other backgrounds so whilst I would agree that it probably it could it could it would be beneficial in them in the round to start earlier I think starting at 16 is better than not starting at all
3: interesting thank you for that history teacher has tweeted isn't the northern alliance aimed to do just that to raise aspirations and push on achievement um, mrs n has tweeted no one can deny that there's a stigma attached to eton after churning out people like our Prime Minister, whether that was 30 years ago or not, maybe fund existing schools quietly without screening their name. Now, I have been corrected, of course, but Eton do sponsor a free school between Slough and Maidenhead, and they offer um, lots of free stuff to schools in the area, apparently. Um, we've got lots of interesting people. We do indeed have a history teacher who um, is back ready to speak, hopefully.
5: Um, Yes, I'd just like to say that one of my history students at GCSE actually went, has gone on to Eton to study history. So, I'm not sure entirely what my point is, but it is possible for students from Trust or State schools within the North East to actually go on to study at Eton. One of mine has.
8: I think if I could chip in there, I, I think I would say that's because... Again, it's part of the Eton sort of outreach mission. And they're not the only school that will offer um, places to kids from all over the, uh, the country to, to go and study there. So I think, again, I suppose the point I would make is that I think it's easy to be cynical about a school like Eton. And, and as I say, I, it's too easy perhaps to judge them on their alumni that are visible at the moment. And I think the school, that school, and lots of independent schools have moved on in the last 30 and 40 years from that, that um stereotype if you like and I think there is a genuine sense of, of wanting to make a difference which it's easy to be cynical about but I don't think is 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 coming from that place I think it is a genuine desire to, to widen participation
5: I genuinely hope so um, I think that could possibly be other ways to do it um, and that potentially there could be working within schools that already exist well, I, think, I don't know I, enough about it to comment, really. I don't know enough about it.
8: Well, well, I think, as was said earlier, I think they've got lots of partnerships in, in lots of state schools uh, to a greater or lesser extent. And I think, again, across the independent sector, you'll find very few schools that aren't in partnership um, to a greater or lesser extent with, with state schools in their area. So I think there is a there is a real desire on the part of the sector to, to work in partnership with state schools. And I think if you would talk to any independent school head, you will find a similar similar statement. There's inevitably a limit to what we can do and there's a limit to financially what we can do and time-wise and, and resources-wise and so on, and that varies from school to school, but certainly every independent school I, head I've ever spoken to has got a real commitment to work in partnership with state schools in the, in, in the country.
5: I absolutely applaud that, to be honest with you. I think that's fantastic.
3: I'm quite worried at the moment because I can't hear Shaz. But before we go back to Shaz, um, I want to point out, of course, that Eton's progress score for 16 to 18 education is minus 0.04. Um, whereas if we compare that to um, some schools in, say, Brentwood or in Wembley, Wembley High Technology College Plus 0.44, JFS is 0.3, ARC Academy 0.28. Now, obviously, progress scores are a very rudimentary, and very flawed way of measuring um, schools. But um, I thought that would be one which would be interesting to bring in.
8: Well, I think there's a wide range of progress scores across the independent sector, and I'd invite you to look at Durham schools in the north-east of England over the the last couple of years. (laughs) I think, you know, again, progress is, is... based in that particular measure on GCSE results and moving through to A level. And I think if you have phenomenal GCSE results, as I'm sure Eaton does, then it's very difficult to to build on that. So I think, again, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily me- interpret that as kind of subverting any um, sense of wanting to make sixth form education a better thing across the country. I'm here. Are oh, oh, you still there? Shaz I'll Shaz
3: I'll Shaz, check, um, yeah, she's made on um, Roger's Covid flare-up, but go on, Shaz, what have you got to say? Oh, yeah, go for it.
6: No, absolutely. Again, um, <laughs> no, I don't want all kids to have a bloody Eton education. It's just vile. And, and what has been the most interesting thing for me in the last year is because obviously I teach post-16 and I watch kids applying for Oxford and Cambridge and drama schools and all sorts of other things. And um, it's been such an interesting experience because sometimes the reason why people don't get into what, why, why is it so important anyway to get into bloody Oxford and Cambridge? Bloody how they are. And anyway.
3: Thanks for that Shaz. Um, why is it important to get into Oxford and Cambridge?
1: Um, it's an interesting question isn't it? Is it, is
3: it being a Do really well, you, um, you genuinely get a better quality degree? Oxford or Cambridge is it all that it's made up to be or, is it, or actually there are there Russell Group universities that's a conversation for another day isn't it Kieran your thoughts on that oh uh, uh,
8: yeah I would agree I would agree I think you know that there is an obsession with Oxford and Cambridge that's that's kind of unhealthy in terms of lots of other universities and there are loads of other universities in the country that are that are just as good to go to I think um, I suppose with a view to Oxbridge statistics it's it's much more um, fair now in terms of the proportion of state school kids that get into Oxford and Cambridge, which is not quite in the line with proportion of kids that go to state and independent schools but it's much closer than it was a few years ago and I think everybody would agree that was a, a, a good thing and so I think on the one hand you can't um, kind of castigate schools like Eton for wanting to raise the aspirations of kids in various areas to go to places like Oxford and Cambridge, and then then sort of say that the education there isn't is isn't important isn't valuable i think um i think it is a very valuable education as, as lots of universities are um and i think if part of the leveling up agenda is to widen the um participation of of those kids to get to, to places like oxford and cambridge then then i think you can't you can't sort of deny that i think um yeah, as I said, I think there's more to life than Oxford and Cambridge, but the more kids that from places like the northeast and the North West of England that go there can only be surely to the better.
3: But it, it's well, only widening participation Stop. if you've got 8s and 9s in your GCSEs, right? If you've got 6s and 7s, then Eton's not interested. Tom, I'm going to float
2: something into the question here, right? And this has always been, a, you know, a kind of thing for me, as I say, you know, I have a marginal chip from growing up in, in one of these towns, mm-hmm. but... You know, if we are saying that Eton needs to come in to make, you know, to help people be more like them so that they can get into, uh, you know, uh, better universities, then what what we are saying is that the the university entry is still broken, right? If there is an issue that is not getting enough people in, so what we're going to do is we're going to make people more like the people who can get in. (laughs) Just see what I mean. I, I, that, that, that suggests that it's we're just perpetuating the problem. We're just making I, I, it available to more people
8: that they can sorry. be like the people who can get in. Does that make I, sense? I, well, I, I would jump in here, sorry, if I can. Um, yeah. I don't think it's about being more like them, as it were. I think it's. I think the real problem that Oxford and Cambridge have, as I understand it, is getting people from who aren't from those kind of backgrounds to apply and i think the reason why they don't apply is because there is a sense that oxford and cambridge is not for people like them and so i don't think eton is coming into the northeast and coming to middlesbrough to try and generate mini boris johnson's i think i think what they're trying to do is is to help people to go to places like oxford and cambridge because it will be more like you know it will be filled with people more like them i think i think Eaton, in a sense, and Oxford and Cambridge suffer from that sense of it's Bride's Head revisited. And it's, it's you know, it, it, it's something from the, the, you know, 100 years ago. And it, and it shouldn't be like that. And it isn't like that. And I, but I think the, the big challenge in, in the areas that we're talking about is that people think it is. And I think if you were able to demystify the, the applications process, which I think is, is a big part of the of the problem, and I think to demystify what life was like when you actually got there, I think you'd find a lot more people who have the grades to get in and have the, the 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 intellectual ability to cope with the teaching when you're there. You'd find a lot more people like them applying. But I think at the moment, it's seen as a place where, you know, it is full of sort of morning suits and white ties and that kind of thing, which, which it shouldn't be and it doesn't want to be. And I think if Eton or whichever independent school in the area can help to demystify that. Surely that's a better thing for everybody. Thank you. Um, of course, yeah, point yeah, out
3: yeah. That the uniform at Eton College is not going to be replicated in these new um, sig forms. Um, I need to go down to the shop and get some milk in the next yeah. So I, I don't want to we, wrap up. Yeah, yeah, we
2: are drawing to a close. I will say, Tom, and this, you know, we can talk about how, how life is, uh, you know, is different and maybe the university is changing with their times. But I will tell you, you know, um, not too long ago, because I'm not that old. My sister was waiting tables at Cambridge University, silver service banquets for lunch, mm-hmm. and I was at I was at university eating tins of beans, and and so there is still a difference there, mm-hmm. there is, you know, and, and, and I palpably felt it, you know, and, and as I say, you know, so there is not only there is a difference, there is also whether for good or bad, and I don't know. My issue is I don't know that having eaten helped people do yeah. it is the best way to lift the community up. And I, you know, and that, that comes from maybe my attitude that it should be grassroots kind of stuff coming up rather than philanthropy coming down. You know, I don't know, but it's a tough one for me, this one. It, it's really torn me a little bit because God knows we can do with the money. God knows we can do with the money.
3: I've just, share, I've just shared a tweet which has got a um, four-letter word, which I won't be repeating. It says, working a below living wage job, scrubbing yes. poo off the toilets of people at my college while I was watching them go off on beautiful holidays so that I could afford to feed that myself. I've had to experience class divide I've had at Oxford yet. Um, and it's a really interesting point that just because you've allowed somebody from a working class background to get into Oxford or Cambridge or allowed them to have a not problem solved. And, you know, and it's helped them, I suppose, with, you know, and it's helped them become more socially mobile, perhaps. But actually, you, there's a wider systemic issue that our academies can only solve one part of, in my view. Um, so the question then, Nathan, is what on yeah. earth are we proposing to put into staff Staffroom One Hundred and One, and is it going into Staffroom One Hundred and
2: One? Okay, so I, this is my this is my judgment on it, right? I, I think you know whether or not whether you want you know complete revolution and system overhaul. This is people trying to help out, right? And so I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, um, the Star Academy bit actually I think sounds interesting and, and, and helping raise, you know, level up or whatever it is we're calling it, but but in that sense from the communities I like that. My biggest issue, my biggest issue is that I think in this context, the Eaton label will do more harm than good for what it's trying to achieve, if you see what I mean. So I think the Eaton label in this context will be uh, taken badly and will damage the the rollout of this has <laughs> picked a different private school pick pick a different school I see why they went for the big one like the big name there but I think it you know it's gonna do it will ultimately do more damage than good that they went for that one in particular had it been just you know a group of other private schools maybe but is, but, is it
3: suffering 101 worthy
2: well you said do we want to put Eton school entirely in and, and then we transition we to to Eaton helping other schools. I don't think we can because we, we need, you know, we need the help. We need the money in this project. I think it may backfire. That's my reading on it. As I say, I think there's a bit of toxicity around the name of it when it comes to how it will be implemented. Will it help some people? Hopefully, it will. So, if it's going to help out some people, I don't see how we can put it in.
3: Good. Thank you for that. So we've come. We've come to the end of today's um staff 101 let's just go through the um, schedule for next week or so tomorrow we have a debut show whose debut show is it is shaniqua edwards hale who is hosting wow. at 8 p.m and she's hosting on going from being a teaching assistant to being a teacher and actually